BBT translation. Your smiles, your sweet, this is the gopis talking to Krishna, who's apparently not present. So he's left Raslila with Radharani, then he left Radharani, and gopis are searching for him. Your smiles, your sweet, loving glances, the intimate pastimes and confidential talks we enjoyed with you, all these are auspicious to meditate upon, and they touch our hearts. But at the same time, O deceiver, they very much agitate our minds. So I'm going to read Prabhupada's translation in the Krishna book. Dear Krishna, the gopis continued, you are very cunning. You can imagine how distressed we are. You can imagine how much we are distressed simply by remembering your cunning smile, your pleasing glance, your walking with us in the forest of Vrindavan, and your auspicious meditations, your talks with us in lonely places were heartwarming. Now we are all agreed to remember your behavior. Please save us. There's no BBT transfer uh, report. And it was interesting, I was reading through this chapter of Christian book again this morning, and the only verse that Prabhupada really comments on in this chapter is Kavakritamutam. The rest he just translates without commentary. I'm going to look at Sanatana Goswami's Tika. Um, there's also Tika's quite different by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and Jiva Goswami, but I'm just going to look at Sanatana Goswami's. Unintelligent women, by force, hear my topics as medicine. In other words, Krishna would be saying that. Or we cannot maintain our lives by hope alone. This verse describes this. Your pure smiles, your glances with prema and your play, which produce happiness simply by thinking of them, disturb our minds, or these elements easily produce meditation and prema. And one of the reasons I, I like this tika is this Nantiko Swami quotes one of my favorite verses. This is from 328.33. It's one of the instructions from Lord Day when he explains how to meditate on the Lord. And this verse that Nantiko Swami is quoting in his tika is, one should meditate upon the Lord's laughter, an easy object of meditation, which shows his teeth like a row of jasmine buds with his shining, full red lips. These elements please the heart, or the conversations just on entering the ears touch the heart with disturbance. All these elements agitate us with desire. Some vidaha by proximity can modify Rudi's prisha. So some vidaha means pleasing talks like Sambhada, and Rudi's prisha, Rudi's heart, wishes to touch. So these pleasing, these lovely talks touch the heart. Rudi's prisha being at the end can also be connected to the whole list of elements. So the gopis could be saying that all these different things touch their heart. The smile and glance are mental attractions arising from his pure bhava, his mental state in prema. So this is interesting and very much relates to Rupa Goswami's description of rasa, that when the heart is moved by love for Krishna, it creates a state called sattva, not sattva guna, but it creates a state called sattva, and that state produces both voluntary actions called anivala and involuntary actions called sattva So we know even in our normal life, if our heart is moved by affection for someone, we may smile and we may look at them. Right? 
And it's nice to see you after so long when you're sick and so I look at you and I feel affection. And I look at you and I smile, right? So this is from a mental state. So it's not that Swami is saying the gopis remembering Krishna's smile and glance is mental attractions. They're remembering their play with him is the bodily attractions, and they're remembering their conversations, samvara, samvidha, is verbal attractions. The later ones are affected in creating a disturbance. He indicates certainty. The cause of the disturbance is given. Oh, beloved Priya, if we did not love you, the disturbance would not take place. So we experience this again even in our material life. If I don't care about somebody, then thinking about them doesn't cause me any disturbance, isn't it? If somebody you don't care about, then whatever they do doesn't disturb me. Because we love you alone, we are always filled with sorrow and mental disturbance. You cheat us, oh cheater. Or just on seeing the lover, we become joyful. Now, this is a very different explanation of the verse. Just on seeing the lover, we become joyful. So here's an Atta Goswami saying you can interpret this verse instead of the gopis describing what they're remembering of Krishna, they're describing how they feel about Krishna. Prahasitam, when we remember you, we become joyful, we look at Krishna with smiles of prema. Thinking of him produces auspiciousness. And then they're quoting Krishna. I will fulfill all the promises. Certainly your desires will be fulfilled, unquote. By now ignoring us, doing the opposite of your words, we must conclude that you are a cheater. Oh, cheater. Or, Krishna might say, women, and especially chaste women, should have composure. They speak in misery. Your smile, glance, playing conversation throw us into confusion. They break our our composure. That we still live with this remembrance is because of our supreme composure and determination. So, Krishna is saying, you shouldn't be so easily agitated, you're saying. But you agitate us, but because we are very elevated, uh, we do keep our composure enough to keep living. Prahasitam priya premala viksha vikshanam viharanam cha te dhanaya mangalam prahasitam viro ya uribis vishaha kukakano mana kisho vayantihi. Your smiles, your sweet loving glances, the intimate pastimes and confidential talks we enjoy with you, all these are auspicious to meditate on and they touch our hearts. But at the same time, O deceiver, they very much agitate our minds. Uh, so we have Dhyana Mangalam, auspicious meditation, Riddhis Prasha, that touches the heart. So everybody's meditating on something. Isn't it? Meditation isn't just for people who, you know, learn some kind of meditation technique and go to some retreat or something or have some meditation time every day. Everybody's meditating on something. Somebody's meditating on their investments, somebody's meditating on their spouse, somebody's meditating on their kids, somebody's meditating on their dog, somebody's meditating on politicians, somebody's meditating on virus. Everybody's meditating on something. Isn't it? Yes? But is it all Diana Mangalam? And everyone's meditation is released for stuff. Everyone's meditation is touching their heart. Isn't that also 
right? What we meditate on. Krishna talks about this. We contemplate, we become attached, we get desire, and it sparks emotions in us. And we lose our composure. Correct? Am I correct? Bhagavad Gita 2, 62 to 63. Whenever we contemplate, we become attached, we develop strong emotions about it, we lose our composure. So whatever we meditate on touches the heart. I always like to give the example that when Bhima and Duryodhana were fighting, the word given is Anusmaram. They were remembering again and again. Anu means to follow. They were remembering and then again they were remembering. And what were they remembering? He insulted me like this. He insulted me like this. And therefore, when Balaram came and said, stop fighting, they didn't hear him because they were so absorbed in this meditation. So this is our choice. And Yamina Bhavi Sumam Bhavam, what do we meditate on? This is our personal choice. Do I meditate on things in the mode of ignorance? Do I meditate on things in the mode of passion? Do I meditate on things in the mode of goodness? Or do I meditate on Krishna? That's up to us. We are the architects of our fortune. We are the architects of our future. Whenever anyone asks about why is it where material entanglement, his answer was always, you have free will. <laughs> you can choose. Uh, once we choose Tamagun, Tamagun controls us. Once we choose Rajagun, Rajagun controls us. Once we choose Satvagun, Satvagun controls us. And if we choose Bhakti, then we get controlled by Krishna. So, up to us, we get controlled by Krishna's Ladini Shakti. So, if we want to meditate on Krishna, yes, at least theoretically, we want to meditate on Krishna. Practically, we may be meditating on something else, but at least theoretically, we want to meditate on Krishna. So, the Shastra is giving us the gist for our meditation. It's giving us the substance upon which we can meditate. Now, one might say, well, that's easy for the gopis because they're meditating on things they experience. How Krishna looks and smiles at them, which is in the category of what? Anybody remember? Mental. How Krishna plays with them, which is in the category of physical. And how Krishna talks with them, which is in the category of verbal. So they already experienced this. Krishna looked at them, he smiled at them, he played with them, he talked with them. So it's easy for them to meditate on them. And it's not so easy for me because I'm meditating on the things I'm experiencing with my senses in this world. And I'm not genuinely experiencing Krishna. But it's very nice that Guru Goswami explains in, in great detail in the Western Ocean of the Bhakti Samrita Sindhu, meaning and separation. And he explains it in terms, of course, of each of the rasas, neutrality, servant, uh, friendship, parental, and conjugal. But there's, in each of those rasas, there's at least two different kinds of separation. Uh, there's a third one, actually, for the conjugal. But in, for all of them, there's at least two kinds. Actually, neutrality, you can say there's just one. 
So one is separation before meaning, and one is separation after meaning. So after one has met Krishna, after Krishna has looked at you and smiled at you and played with you and talked with you, and then he leaves like he's done with the gopis, there, that's a certain kind of separation. And we can say that in one sense that can be a very intense separation. Like our Acharya's gave the example, proper quotes, is that if you're poor and you become rich and then you lose your money, you meant much more so than a poor person who's never been rich. Right? There's that saying, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But some people who love and lost say, I don't know about that. That can be more painful. Right? Those who've had children die, they may be suffering far more than someone who wanted a child and never had one. Uh, but there is also the separation before meaning. A separation before meaning, a sense of separation before meaning. And it is this type of separation that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is advising from the Sadhaka. That one should be absorbed in the separation before meaning. And we know how to do that. Right? Haven't we all purchased something on the internet and we're waiting for it to come? And we're absorbed in it? Right? And for some of these things, there's even an app where you can see where the, the courier is, right? Have you ever seen it? And you click on it and ten stops away, nine stops away, eight stops away. You're tracing the, the courier, bringing whatever you ordered and then it's delivered, and then you go to the door and you get it, and you open it up. That's separation before meeting. Right? Or I don't know, somehow in the last week I had how many people? Four, five people ask me to play matchmaker for them? Which is not something I generally do. But it's the same kind of thing. Somebody says to you, you know, here, there's so-and-so Doss that you might want to marry. There's so-and-so Davy Doss that you might want to marry. They haven't met them yet. They haven't even talked to them yet. And they're, but they're absorbed in them. Yes? Or if we're going to go someplace we haven't gone before. You're going to go to India for the first time. You're going to go to Japan for the first time. Or you're going to go to the whatever. You're thinking about it, and you're reading about it, and you know, we all know how to do this. And Krishna is very attractive. And so here's the, the gist of what we can meditate on. Krishna's smile, Krishna's laughter. And I love how Lord Kipiladev says that, that Krishna's laughter is very easy to meditate on. Well, Krishna's always happy. I mean, yes, he has variety of emotions. Uh, the whole range of emotions, but they're all in ecstasy. Right? It's not mentioned here in singing, but Prabhupada will say later in the Rasa chapters that the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. And Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, I am the sound in ether. Amazing. One lecture Prabhupada says that even if you don't want to chant by Krishna, you can meditate on any sound in the world as being a manifestation Even the heater rumbling. The cars on the highway. Krishna's singing. And we can meditate on that. In fact, one of the easiest ways for the beginner to meditate on Krishna's separation is like that. 
That Krishna is the light of the sun, the light of the moon. Today is the full moon. Beautiful moon rising, reflecting on the snow. Krishna says, I am the light in all luminous objects. And then Krishna's playfulness. We can meditate on all these pastimes. One place Prabhupada said, there's just one pastime that you want to meditate on. You can meditate on that over and over and over again. I like to meditate on Krishna milking the cows in the morning. And the cows, they, they, because they love Krishna more than they love their cows. And so when Krishna comes, they actually wait to give their milk to Krishna comes. And Krishna uh, takes his, he's sitting on a milking stool, and he's kind of, if you've seen people go on a milking stool, they're, they're squatting, and he has a golden milk pot between his knees. And as he's milking, little drops of the milk fall on his dhoti, and you know, when, when you get something wet on your clothes, your clothes become transparent or translucent there. You can see a little bit of Krishna's legs through the, where the, where the drops of milk came. And Krishna's leaning against the side of the cow. As he leans against the side of the cow, his, his turban tilts to the side, and as his turban tilts to the side, some of his curls fall out of his turban. Whatever pastime one wants to Krishna dancing on Kaliya, jumping from one hood to the other, one slippery hood to the other in the water, while Kali is putting out poison, trying to kill him, and Krishna's the bottom of Krishna's lotus feet is defeating the redness of the jewels on Kali's hoods, you know, whatever uh, pastime that you like. You know, Krishna dressing up as a, as a girl. To, to talk to the gopis and to get the, the gopis to talk to him even when they're angry with him. Uh, it's really interesting, an uh, early letter uh, Srila Prabhupada wrote to this devotee he said, when you chant our Krishna, you should feel the presence of Krishna. And as soon as you feel the presence of Krishna, you can remember some of his pastimes, like his instructions uh, to Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita. And that's an easy thing to remember that pastime. What did Krishna say to Arjuna? Right? With, with this storm, Matrisvarsha Sukhante Rasita's Nasurita. We could easily meditate on that pastime of Krishna saying, Don't be disturbed by me in the cold. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Krishna. You didn't have the power to go off. And that leads to the next thing in meditation is what Krishna says. What is Krishna saying in Bhagavad Gita? What is Krishna saying in Bhagavatam? What does Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu say to Sanatana Goswami, to Guru Goswami, to Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, to Ramananda Roy? We can remember those speeches. Maybe we're not like the gopis and we can't remember what Krishna said to us in some lonely place, but we can remember what we've read in the scriptures and think about it. So we can remember Krishna's laughing and singing, we can remember Krishna's activities, and we can remember Krishna's speeches. In the mood of separation, I want to meet this person. I want to be with him. This is auspicious meditation. Nanayamangalam, as the gopis are describing here. And when this touches the heart, really spritzed up. Yes, it agitates the heart with desire, but it agitates the heart with a very sweet desire. 
with a desire and love. Our mundane meditations agitate our heart with, in a way that's not pleasing, isn't it? It's a disturbance. So then there's very nice descriptions of stages of meditation. This description is given in the purport to Nectar of Instruction, verse 8, where Srila Prabhupada is quoting Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. Uh, the stages of meditation are also explained in various places by Bhakti Thakur in Jaya Dharma, Chitani, and in his commentary to the 11th verse of the Srimana Shiksha Raghunathas this morning. So these stages of meditation are for us to enter more and more deeply into this Hanaya Mangala, this auspicious meditation. So the first stage is hearing. I can't meditate on something I don't know anything about. So hearing, but hearing not officially, okay, I put in my quote of hearing today, but hearing with the view that I'm going to meditate on this. So that's the first stage. Next stage is accepting, where what we hear enters into us and starts to change us. This is this really special. It touches the heart, it touches our emotions, it touches our desires. Then the third stage is called smadana. It's interesting that the five stages of smadana, the third stage is called smadana, uh, or remembering, where we really start to remember. So at first we just hear and it goes in, but then we forget and we think about other things, we think about whatever we think about. But smadana, we really start this meditation. And this has five subcategories. So the first is interrupted. I think about Krishna's smile, Krishna's laughing, Krishna's singing, Krishna's pastimes, Krishna's philosophy, and then I think about something else. And then again, I think about Krishna, and then I think about something else, and then I think about Krishna. I think of like, and then the next one is uninterrupted. I'm thinking about Krishna. One thing leads to another, leads to another. Our mind is great at this. We think of something and that leads us to think of something else and that leads us to think of something else, right? Our minds are really good at that. So when that starts happening with Krishna, I think about Krishna smiling, then I think about Krishna smiling to Arjuna when he says, just see, Aparta. And then about, I think about how Krishna is close to the body. And it goes on and on and on and on. But it's, it's a kind of a surface level. Then the next stage, the third stage, is that thinking becomes concentrated. Then the fourth stage is it starts spreading throughout my life. So before the fourth stage, meditation may be a certain time. I may meditate during Jaka, during Gaiji, during Vesting Deeds, when I'm reading the Shastra. But the rest of the time is somewhere else. But at the fourth stage, it's actually spreading, and the fifth stage is samadhi of the mind, where the mind is fully absorbed. So that's the four subparts of the third stage of samadhi. Then the fourth level is amazing. The fourth level, one is no longer meditating on the mind. And this is nicely explained by Rokupila Day also. How one uses the mind as a hook to capture the Lord like one would capture a fish. And Jiva Goswami says, the Lord enters our consciousness through the pathway of our meditation. 
So one, up to this third stage, one has been using the mind. At the fourth stage, Krishna says, oh, here's someone who's deeply thinking of me. Let me show up. So this is, this is also a samadhi, but this is a samadhi that Prabhupada describes as spiritual television, where the rays of the Ladini Shakti, as nicely described in the eighth verse of Shikha, the rays of the Ladini Shakti enter the heart and illuminate it. And one is no longer using the mind to meditate, but there's Krishna actually there in the heart. And one is seeing Krishna's smiles and glances and laughter and pastimes and speech. One is experiencing that with all the senses in the heart. And then the fifth level of meditation is, it's not just in the heart, one is seeing Krishna face to face. Just like Yuga was meditating on the Lord, in the heart, and then all of a sudden he didn't see him in his heart anymore. And he opened his eyes, and there was the same Lord. He was meditating on seeing him face to face. And actually, Gobi's meditation is like that, although in one sense they are geographically separated from Krishna, they're actually seeing him everywhere. So these are the basic stages of meditation, and I came up with my own little allegory for it. So hearing, for any of you who know how to make your birth, so hearing would be like you take your milk and you put it in a pot. Accepting is like you turn the fire on under the pot. Remembering is now you're, you're actually cooking milk, it's starting to boil. And then again, there's five parts to that remembering. One is interrupted. You stir your milk and then you cut vegetables. You stir your milk and you wash the beans. You stir your milk and you look at your phone. Next, uninterrupted. You're stirring your milk all the time. Next, concentrated. The milk gets thick. Next, expanded. The thick milk starts to bubble. And then uh, samadhi is fully cooked. Then the fourth level, samadhi of the spirit, you've added sugar to your fully cooked milk. And the fifth stage, seeing Krishna face to face, you have your birth. Those are the stages of meditation. I wanted to, um, to talk very briefly about the, today's a special day, and I didn't know about the, the details of this day until very recently when Madhavananda just published a Hindu on this Pushya Abhishek. So, Pushya means to nourish, and Abhishek means a bath. So this Pusha Abhishek comes in the month of Pusha, which also means to nourish, and it happens when the moon is in the nakshatra of Pusha. So the moon travels through 27 nakshatras every month, and uh, this month is also a full moon, so that's very interesting. So a lot of devotees have misunderstood Pusha as Pushpa, which happened because Sri Prabhupada wrote a letter to Dhanavir on November 20th, 1971, where it was written as Pushpa. And my guess, because Prabhupada dictated his letters after the first few years of the movement, he dictated them and the secretary wrote them, that the secretary misheard Pushya as Pushpa. <laughs> um, like I've been, if you haven't done this, please put it on your bucket list. In Chapati for the Pushya Abhishek, they get I don't know, 30, 50 huge baskets of flower petals. Only to this in India. It would cost way too much in this country. And the pujaris are showering the deities with flower petals for like 45 minutes during the kirtan. 
Then they collect this rosatum flower petals because the deities get completely covered. So you've got like three people showering flowers, petals on the deity. It actually looks like fireworks. It's incredible. They're doing like this to the flower petals above the deity. It looks like fireworks. Amazing. And then there's another like three pujaris at deity's feet collecting flower petals and putting them back in baskets because otherwise the deities would be completely covered. So then we end up with like 30 or 50 baskets of offered flower petals, and they bring that out into this humongous temple room that also has balconies. They bring some to the balconies, and some and the devotees start throwing this offered flower petals on each other while this warming here time is going on. And if you've never done, been there, please put it on your bucket list. But actually, it, this is not a festival of flowers. <laughs> it's, it's a festival of nourishment. Prabhupada's letter, uh, he wrote, this is a celebrating day when the gopis dress Krishna. He says it is a ceremony to decorate the deity profusely with flowers, ornaments, and cloths. Then there should be lavish feasting and a procession through the streets. So I don't think we're going to do that with two inches of snow and ice on the on the ground. Um, but particularly this push Abhishek is when we take up the Anga of Bhakti of the 64 Angas where we worship the Lord like a king. So it's um, so I just did a little bit for my deities today. I just polished their silver. Oh and I gave them both the Guru and uh Musk today to worship them as a king. But whatever we can do to worship the Lord as a king today and this is the idea that by worshiping Krishna, he becomes nourished. It's to give auspiciousness to the king. So this Pusha Abhishek was done in the kingdoms of India to grant auspiciousness to the king. And there's particular Pusha Abhishek ceremonies that go on in Jagannath Puri, uh, that go on with Radharamandi, uh, so among various uh, famous temples they have a particular ceremony on this day of worshiping the Lord in Grand Opulence. In some places they do an Abhishek with ghee uh, and different celebrations like that. So if we could do something a little special for the deities today, uh, whether the deities in our room or we make, make something special for Ayurveda, and this would be a, for his auspiciousness, uh, we have that celebration day. So uh, questions, comments, corrections? Yes, Marsh. Um, you talked about three types of separation. You left out the uh, separation the gopis feel when they're with Krishna, that Krishna is going to leave. Oh, yeah. Well, when you get to the Mahapuri boss, you also have the separation from anger and the separation they feel when they're with Krishna that they feel he might leave. Yes, thank you. That's why Krishna explains to the gopis in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. That's why he didn't go back to Vrindavan. That that's why Krishna didn't go back to the dog. It would cause him more pain than he was going to leave again. <laughs> but, but a lousy excuse. Do you accept that excuse? Yes. Do you accept that excuse? I don't accept that. Krishna says, I can't go back to the dog because then you'll just be afraid I'll leave again and you'll be in more pain. I, I'll agree with the gopis here that he's a cheater. No? I'll, I'll, I'll side with the gopis for the chasers. I'm just 
Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on these topics. Shilpa Ki Jai.